Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome to Nightlight, everybody. Glad you could join me today. From from uh, For those of you that, that have are regular viewers, you can tell that I've been out in my garden, and so I brought all the pollen back inside with me. I apologize for having a husky voice, but <clears throat> I'm not sick. I'm just uh, allergic. I want to thank Ken Quiet Hawk for his um, amazing intro. Please look for him on the Internet. He's a native storyteller, and he and his wife, have done an amazing job of, of preserving a, a technique and, a, and a, an art um, that, that all of us should be aware of, and, and that, that is the native stories that, that they tell their, their children that, that preserve their history and their cosmology. So check him out, please. I have Les Jensen on with me today, and he's written a book called Citizen King, The New Age of Power. And it's an amazing book. It's going to make you think. It's going to make you reevaluate and maybe maybe make you a little more um, <clears throat> secure in how to, to pull your personal power into utilization within your life. And this is what Amazon has to say about the book. Before you were born, your soul had a vision of what your life could be. To honor that vision can bring a deep sense of satisfaction and fulfillment into your life producing feelings of joy, happiness, and gratitude. To engage that vision of your life and trust yourself is to turn on the creative expression of your own potential. When you walk authentically as yourself, all possibilities come within your reach, and the vision of your dreams comes into focus. You may not know every detail, though you, tr you trust in the story of your heart and soul as they feed you a vision of what is possible. It is intentional creation itself. Your own potential has no limits, and to create a flow of its expression brings an ever-unfolding story of genuine satisfaction and gratitude as you honor your purpose here on the earth plane. To have big dreams and take bold actions creates the most exciting and adventurous life, fulfilling the vision of your soul. Will you embrace the bold ideas of your heart and soul and trust there is a way for them to manifest? 
Can you do this from a place of personal forgiveness and compassion? When you master that, you start to purify your own heart, the source of your authentic power. When you put action into your inspiration, you give your soul influence in your life. Your soul becomes free to express as it intends. This is soul-level living. Your ego's role shifts to fulfilling your inspiration with action. It is you acting as a citizen king. The path to living an exceptional life in your own authentic kingdom affords you a genuine sense of fulfillment and joy. It is the new age of what personal power looks like. It is our human potential fulfilled. Les is an author, radio host, speaker, energy master, and visionary, committed, committed, <laughs> committed, committed to promoting personal empowerment and his life purpose of being service to others. He's an amazing man, and, and he has put forth a book that has amazing potential for people who read it and decide to incorporate it into their lives. Welcome to the show, Les. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be back. Oh, it's a joy to have you. It really is. And I think one of the things, especially today, with with life being um, sort of turned upside down for everybody so that they can take a good look at everything and, and make new choices, um, it's important for people to understand the potential that they carry within them. And I think this is an amazing book. I, I One of the things that you emphasize in it of course, is imagination, dreams, and creativity, all of which I think are are the fuel that makes our life move forward. And, and I think you've done an amazing job of that. Um, so many people look at, at imagination and creativity and and um, those qualities and just think that, you know, they're make-believe and we don't pay attention to them. And, and in reality, that's where we should really be paying attention. They seem to be the the fulcrum for whatever might be in your path. In other words, when you bump up against uh, resistance or struggle in your life, the the medicine, the wisdom, the inspiration that can help you traverse that it comes from something that doesn't already exist in your mind per se. Uh, the, so the imagination is is like a, a storehouse of infinite potential, and it, when you when you approach it with an intent, it can feed you ideas and possibilities to help you transcend whatever you're bumping up against. Yeah, I kind of I, I call I call the imagination the well of the experiences of every past life you've had. And um, same thing, it's, it's cosmic consciousness that, that's available to us. And, and it comes to us in dreams, inspiration, um, <clears throat> daydreams. I mean, it, it comes in, in so many different synchronicities in our life, often come from that quality within us that is trying to give us a message. And, and so often we just aren't paying attention, which is, you know, which is frustrating. <laughs> I, I think there's a, like a, a muse quality to it. I, I remember uh, Einstein would talk about 
solving a difficult problem, and he'd sit there and throw his analytical mind at it over and over and over again, and then he'd say, what the hell, and get up and go take a walk. And in that non-mind mode, he would get oftentimes the inspiration that would give him the insight or the breakthrough of what he was trying to more or less force with his ego, with his mind. So I I don't think there's any real limit to how we can use that. For example, you can intend to create a new form of energy or a new type of medicine as an intent, and when you dump your intention and attention into that, uh, you you magically draw um, inspiration you magically draw to you a vibrational equivalent. You kind of enter a new neighborhood of consciousness by creating in your own psyche a desire that wasn't there before. And and in that um, muse effect, you can you can be the download. You can be the inspiration that brings a new paradigm, a new outcome. For not only yourself, but for humanity. Well, I think what what fascinated me was you you had you had three divisions here. You had the ego, you had the heart, and you had the soul. As far as levels of consciousness or or awareness, um, and you explained how it depends on where you're working from, what level of intellect consciousness that you 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 are able to draw upon you want to kind of explain that because the ego to me is something that that you know everybody has one and i don't think people understand exactly what the ego is and where it comes from well sure nobody had an ego the day they were born yet you had source consciousness or a soul Uh presence and you had a heart space. Um, and on day one as a baby, your your heart and your soul, you're just chilling. <laughs> you're yeah. chilling for a while. And I think your soul really looks very intentionally, very carefully at the family dynamic of what you're going to incarnate into because it is in your family of origin that the ego is created or fabricated. So, so the your family of origin introduces you to the cognitive process. They show they say this is a chair, this is a table. They're built they're literally building the cognitive engine of what will become your ego. But not only do they assign symbols to the objects, I think a much more powerful aspect is they assign the value, the value of the symbols. And so when we talk about ego, let's fast forward into the adult life. Your ego is a template. It's uh, there's many metaphors we could use to kind of understand it. A computer program, sure. Um, if if you if you grew an ego that's a four function calculator, and um, 
you're trying to embody a spreadsheet mindset, there's uh, there's some reprogramming that needs to happen, so to speak. And uh, the the ego can can get in the way in several different ways. Uh, the ego can easily consume a hundred percent of your consciousness. In other words, pushing out uh, room, space for your heart and your soul to inspire you. You're looking at your phone, you're on social media, you got monkey mind, and you're literally running like 100% of your your consciousness from your ego. And, and I don't think that's too uncommon for a, a large sector of humanity. But... Uh, uh, the ego can be uh, reconstituted in in the adult arena. You can dissolve whatever doesn't work for you, and you can construct really any kind of a uh, modality that you choose. And it it doesn't it doesn't present a problem. And I don't I don't. Um, it doesn't present a problem until your your heart and your soul show you a, a new idea or a new vision of your life. For example, the first <laughs> the first time I ever got the inspiration to write a book, my ego took that idea and just you know flogged it and flogged it into oblivion. And there was, in other words. From the mental construct of my family of origin, there was no place in my mental apparatus that I could land the idea of me being an author, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. So well, I, I had to, well, I, I had to create space. I had to... Um, one of the a very powerful thing we can do is just write down our inspiration because it brings it into the physical form and it's there the next day. If if you're unloading the cars, uh, groceries from the car, you're in the shower or something, and an inspiration comes in, and oftentimes the very next thought we drag it up into our brain and try to rationalize it, it might not survive the day. But if you write it down that same inspiration can be reintroduced tomorrow and the next day. Right. I think that as I look at, at my life going back, um, my ego, for instance, when I was just out of high school and going to college, had been really formed by my parents and my, you know, the religious training that I'd gotten and my school and you know, it, it it sort of formed a like a time capsule for me, so that when when something happened, there was a knee jerk reaction, and that knee jerk reaction came from when I was much younger. As I got older, I changed because you know I dissolved some of those knee jerk reactions, but not all. I'm still working on some of them, but it it's sort of like as you grow if if you're if you're into making changes in your life and expanding your perspectives and, and your and your and broadening your horizons 
you get to the point where it's I'm not limited, and and you know I had the same thing when I was in high school. I was told, "Don't bother applying to colleges; you'll never get in, and even if you get in, you'll flunk out." And it almost prevented me from applying to college because I was expect I was accepting other people's interpretations of me as a person. Right. And needless to say, I applied to college. I got into them, and I you know, graduated, so, but, but so the ego, sometimes we have these leftover knee jerks that, that haunt us almost as we, you know, in our adult, in our, in our adult life, you know, when we come up against situations, the ego will react in a way that it's been programmed to at another time in our life, and, and we sometimes find ourselves not taking advantage of a lot of the possibilities and potentialities that are there for us. And when you recognize that and reprogram it and expand it, it does add a greater richness to your life, absolutely. Oh, indeed. The um, Fast forward a couple of decades, and I think my ego genuinely appreciates and values the inspiration from my heart and my soul. And so when new programming comes into my psyche, my ego is genuinely excited about the new tangent, the new direction that my life is going to take. And and I guess the difference is in the past, my my ego would try to rationalize or vet or, you know, measure the, the merit of my heart, my soul's inspiration. And now I understand that my heart and my soul operate in a like a nonlinear realm of of potential and I don't have to understand. I don't have to see the whole path. And if my heart and my soul are downloading new information to me, there's a reason for it. And so it's a it's I have a much quicker acceptance of it and I and mm-hmm. I cherish it and um and honor it with intention attention and action. Yeah, I have to agree. I, I there was a time where I never would have, you know, I I wouldn't have taken a lot of the leaps of faith that I have taken in the last 20 years. Because you know, I would have I would have analyzed it and had and gone and asked a lot of friends what they thought and taken their advice and you know gotten totally confused and then not done anything. And so, you know, you get to a point if you learn to trust your soul and your heart. I mean, you can't go wrong. You can't make any wrong turns. You know, some sometimes you have a little bit longer to go on some things, but there's nothing, you can't do something wrong. Um, but where does karma come into play with all of this? Karma is that dirt that won't come out of the laundry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, how does karma play into this? I like really simple analogies. Um, I like the notion of, uh, so what is karma? Karma is mm-hmm. 
anything from the past that's influencing you in the present. Okay. And although that's although that's very simple, I think it uh, it kind of serves as uh, a simple way to look at it. Um, I think well, karma karma is really impersonal. You know, you can think of gravity, and although we cannot see gravity itself, we can see the effect of gravity. And gravity will gladly tumble me down the stairs and break my neck. And it will also allow me to go downhill skiing in a beautiful mountain setting, having the time of my life. And the gravity's impersonal as to which one I experience. When I, uh, the, the cosmic two-by-four that cracked me open was, um, it was a bug on the windshield moment. Um, my whole life changed in just a very short period of time. And what had happened in that moment was an immense amount of emotional energy came out of my subconscious. And in the moment, it startled me because here's this river, here's this volcano of energy flowing out of my psyche. And I remember kind of asking the energy, who the hell are you? And, and the anger's like, I don't care. I don't care how you experience me. I am what I am, and, and see you later, bye. Yeah. And I had realized that... Um, Anger was a pivotal emotion in my life, karmically speaking. So had you talked to me before that event, if I had any issues at all with anger, I'd say, no, not at all. I'm a lighthearted guy. I don't get mad. Anger is not a prominent aspect of my life. And I would have been so completely and totally wrong because... Anger was a very decisive aspect of my life. My ego was scared to death of anger. And so my ego would do anything it could to avoid any choice that might move me towards anger. Subconsciously, I would avoid anything that might, that just might bring about an angry response. So my boss could belittle me, and I'd just take it. I was so afraid of anger, and I had an immense amount of anger in my subconscious. So if I'm talking about karma, that's karma. I had so many decisions that were completely off the table every day of my life because they might elicit an angry response. So what is what is karma? Karma is my consciousness from the past. In this case, anger. My karma is the consciousness, my consciousness from my past that I was suppressed into my subconscious. And it's the mechanism of karma is as impersonal as gravity. So we, if you're having a difficult karmic um, repetitive pattern in your life, you can flip it in an instant and reprogram a completely different relationship to that karma, if that makes sense. It does. <clears throat> but who or what determines 
what karma comes into a lifetime with you? Well, we bring some from our past lives. Um, there, there is a, a continuation, if so to speak, of. If I, I think we we take on. I mean, a lifetime can. I'm sorry, a soul can have thousand incarnations, more, less, whatever. And over the 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 total storyline, if you will, I think we have seasons of karma. In other words, certainly in this lifetime, my, some of the karmic lessons I've incarnated to teach myself about is anger. And I think it would be very safe to say that in my uh, exact um, in my previous incarnation, and and um, anger would have been a prominent part. So I'm in a season. I, it, it's like you go from kindergarten to PhD, and and now you're in high school learning American history. Well, you're not going to learn American history in kindergarten, and if your PhD is in biochemistry, you might not take it there too. But in your high school year, that's what you're learning. And so I would say that um, some of the karma we bring from our past, but in this lifetime, my father, a World War II vet, had an, an immense amount of anger within him that he probably got from being forced to kill other people in the in the theater of war. And mm-hmm. in my family dynamic that anger was a decisive emotion. So I certainly picked up a lot of karma in this incarnation after my birth, and I probably brought uh, some core elements with me from my past life, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And and I think one one of the important things that you said was that that we determine it. It's It's not like we go to an incarnation the office of incarnation and someone sits down with us and says, you know, we're going to put a little bit of this in and a little bit of that in. And, and it's not like you have a, it's not like you have a guidance counselor who's, who tells you what you're going to work on the next lifetime. It's, it's more or less, sorry, cat just jumped up. It's more or less, it's something that we, we do to and to and for ourselves. And, sure. and so when, so when we have determined what we're going to work on as far as this lifetime and, and incarnate, we've put ourselves into families or situations where we're going to be exposed to some of those knee-jerk things. And, and it's, it's important for us to recognize those aspects. Um, you know, I, I you know, look at my own life and, and I can see a couple of places where my reaction to something today is very similar to what it was when I was in high school. And it's sort of like, well, let's grow up a little bit. <laughs> let's pay a little attention to this. <laughs> and, and, and let's realize that you have, you have greater control over your life now than you did then, so you don't have to react that way. And that's bringing power into yourself. And that's what your book is about, is it's claiming power that that you haven't claimed before to make changes in your life now 
and and it doesn't mean it, and you're very specific about it, and I love the fact that you say you say over and over and over and over again in the book. Now you have to have something to eat, you have to have a source of income, and you have to have a place to live. You have to provide for your family, but then you can work on yourself at the same time. So in, in other words, you, you don't go off and become a hermit in order to make these changes. You do it while maintaining a life. Oh, sure. I think the the current of life um, bumps us up against our karma. The, You know, I, I think the... The potential of a human persona, I mean, I'm going to tangent a little bit here. So, in in my book, Forgiven Sinner, God's Last Savior, I, I contemplated the notion of God with a big G. God with yeah. a big G coming to save our ass. So, there's got to be millions, if not billions of prayers prayed from suffering humans saying, please God, end the war, please God, bring my son home, please God, end the suffering, please God, end the uh, suffering on the planet, and zero times does a glowing orb come down from the sky. I mean, (laughs) even like uh, Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ is a rock star. He's, He's... He's the personification of of what is possible in human form. And he says, well, come on now, belly up to the bar. You're going to be doing everything I will do and more. But when, when God was on the cross being crucified before he checked out of this incarnation, he wasn't like a NASA ass away from saving humanity. It's not like he got close the first time he got here. He didn't get anywhere near close to saving humanity. When he was up on the cross, the Roman Empire was expanding their war plans. They were expanding their intent to conquer through brutality more and more countries. So Jesus wasn't the vehicle as a single persona to save humanity. That that's a when we when we surrender the predicament of humanity to a single savior system, we suck. Because is Jesus at a super super savior school now? And when he comes back again, he's going to kick everybody's ass. B.S. It was <laughs> never intended that a single persona come into the human dynamic as in the role of savior of humanity. That's just not accurate. So what the hell is it going to look like? I suggest to you the most powerful substance on the planet is flesh and bones. You have to have a body. And when you have a body and then you surrender it to divine will, I mean a scrawny little lawyer, this scrawny little lawyer was in a vast country, and another country showed up with an army. I'm talking about Gandhi, India, mm-hmm. and the British Empire. So Gandhi's this grunting little lawyer, flesh and bones, flesh and bones, and this war machine, this army shows up to conquer the country, and 
Gandhi doesn't even get an army. uh, Gandhi didn't even get an army, and he ended up sending the army home, preserving the, the sovereignty and dominion of his country. So when we look at the dynamic that's going to save our human condition, it's legions of Jesuses. It's legions of Buddhas. It's legions of, quote, saviors, unquote. And that's that's you and me. Citizen King of the New Age of Power is, I'm sorry, it's, it's I think we have to wake up to our potential. I, I totally agree with you, and... and the reality is that all of us have within us that connection to the Christ consciousness, to the Gandhi consciousness, to the you name it consciousness. We have access to that consciousness, but it's do we do we embrace it and apply it to our lives and make it a part of our lives, or do we just look at it and say, "Isn't that cool? We have that spark, but I'll re- I'll read it later," you know. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I got a ton of books that I have stacked that I'm going to read later, and <clears throat> I don't know if later is going to come. But but you know, if it does, I'll get them all read. But but it's sort of like if you apply yourself, if you open yourself up to be a part of it, then you do become a part of it. But it's understanding that that the intellect part of us often can't comprehend the majesty of what's available to us and potential inside. Right. So so it's 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 that balance that, that, that is so crucial. And I know when when I came to the point where I understood that inspiration, creativity and, and you know the, the, the soul could influence my life if I trusted my heart. And trusting your heart. Now, now that doesn't mean trusting your heart to select the right lottery numbers. It, it means, because right. tr- trust me, I tried it. It doesn't work. Um, you know, I, I did. I tried it. It doesn't work. But, but making my life better and brighter by making sure that there's a creative process going on, making sure that there's there's an outlet for inspiration, whether it's writing or drawing or knitting or crocheting or just any form of creativity, making sure there is that channel for that material to flow through into my reality um, has taken my life from black and white to technicolor. Right. Very nice. And, and there's a sense of joy that is just unbelievable. If, you know, when, when things don't go right, it's like, huh, <laughs> I wonder where I screwed up. <laughs> and, and you know, it's, it's, almost, it's almost laughable the times that I have found myself analyzing something to the point that the value of it to my life is gone. You know, it's sort of like I take the clock apart and I can't put it back together. Right. So, so, that, so that intellectualizing some things, just doesn't work. I mean, I mean, some things it does work, but for the most part, if it's an important aspect of your life, you 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 intellectualize it, you rationalize it, you take it apart, you try to reason, you try to understand, you try to be safe, you try to be an adult, and by the time you're done with all of that, 
you can't remember why you did it in the first place. You know, the moment's the moment's gone. I think it's kind of like flexing a muscle. It's if you don't use your muscles, they go dormant, and there's no rapport with them. Whatever mm-hmm. your heart and your soul are showing you as far as action items in your life right now, those are stepping stones. Those are those are glimpses of what can happen in the in the uh, like near future, so to speak. But what I'm getting at is if you if you form a discipline with honoring the inspiration of your heart and your soul and here comes inspiration and and now um it's it feels like the right time and i bring it into fulfillment i'm creating um a new opportunity to be inspired now that i've kind of advanced the physical world by taking action on inspiration and here comes another inspiration well, those two inspirations yeah. can be ten minutes apart or ten years apart. And if we don't, if we're not really paying attention to our heart and our soul, we're like a high power engine sitting in idle, sitting in neutral, because there's there's no flow of inspiration into form, inspiration into form, inspiration into form, and here I am, twenty five years later after the cosmic two by four. <laughs> I'm amazed. I am so my my ego is giddy about what my soul is showing me for my life and my future, and I I have trust and confidence that they'll come into fulfillment because I know I'm going to honor them. And so today, my ego feels excited about my life. Today, my ego feels fulfilled because I'm honoring my heart and my soul. At the end of today, my heart, my soul, and my ego will all have a sense of satisfaction because I've honored the reason why I'm here. Well, I think also we do create our reality by our perception of it and making sure that, that you know there is the, the creative aspect to everything you do. It, it, it does up the ante to a great degree as to what you see and what you embrace and what you bring into your life. So so someone who has not been involved in this material to a great degree for any length of time, they pick up your book, where do they start? Where do they they say, Okay, I want I want to become a citizen king. What what is their first step? Well, everybody's going to arrive with a different path, so I don't, I'm not sure there's exactly the same action item right off the top. But um, in general, I would say if, if you're just starting from scratch, mm-hmm. uh, um, to, to journal, to, to capture the inspiration that you've had uh, um, in your life so far. In other words, I didn't I didn't really see myself uh, a writer of books by any means whatsoever. 
had you asked me, am I going to be a published author, I would have said not only no, but hell no. And <laughs> now, and now I know I've got many books um, in the queue for them to come out of my persona. Now, so if you're just starting out, I would suggest to you um, meditation. No thought meditation is what I prefer. Um, I have a book mm-hmm. on at newhumanliving.com, Personal Power Fundamentals, which uh, talks about your persona as a vehicle and how to tune it up, so to speak. I like no thought meditation. So if you're just starting out, why am I suggesting meditation? And why am I suggesting no thought meditation? Well, the, the, the monkey mind, the busy mind that most of us have, our runaway ego, so to speak, a vast majority of the thoughts that we have during our day-to-day lives don't serve us, but we're not conscious of them. Mm-hmm. And with no thought meditation, it's a very easy process. For 10 minutes a day, you start a timer and you stop your thoughts. And it's it's in that silence that new thoughts become vividly perceivable. Yeah. If we can't get out of if we can't get out of our monkey mind, the vast majority of our thoughts we're not even conscious of. Yeah. I think that, that that's the one thing that, that you know most people look at this and say, Well that's all well and good but I I'm not involved in this kind of a thing, and, and the no-thought meditation is a great way to start. It, it really is. It's very simple. I mean, people are going to think it's simple, but, but not thinking anything for 10 minutes is not as easy as one would think. <laughs> and, and after a few months, you're going to feel a difference in your persona, and if 10 minutes gets easy, make it 20. When you first start yeah. out, so it's your very first time, don't use the timer on your phone because you can get texts, it can vibrate, it can ring. Put the phone in some other room, get a kitchen timer or whatever. Start the timer and, and just stop your thoughts and it'll go something like this. Well, this is bullshit. And you yeah. say, thank you. And when you say thank you, that's a period at the end of the paragraph. You're done with that topic. This is uh-huh. stupid. Thank you. We're not getting anything done. Thank you. We need to get gas in the car. Thank you. And and that thank you is a period that ends that topic. And so when you first start out, you're going to say a whole lot of thank yous. Yes. And then slowly over time, your, your thoughts will start, um, I guess they give up hope. <laughs> <laughs> any hope of of being heard in that no thought meditation and you'll create some silence some 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 stillness and i tell you what that stillness will be an extremely powerful thing when you when you are able to create a stillness in your psyche not only will your own thoughts become much more conscious 
but you're going to recognize the languaging of everyone else. You're going to go to a business meeting, and in that silent, in that stillness, you're going to recognize a much deeper language that everybody's talking about. They're telling you an awful lot about themselves, but they don't they don't recognize it because. They're not watching their thoughts at all, and a lot of their thoughts are subconscious, and their subconscious motivation might not be what their their conscious um, language is telling you. And when when you are, are are in this process, where do these random thoughts come from? Is that the ego sending them to you, or is that just trivia that's out there floating that is coming in? Yes. Um, well, sometimes we pick up on other people's thoughts, um, mm-hmm. but if the ego is afraid of pain and you have scars in your psyche, you have heartache in your psyche, you have pain you don't want to look at in your psyche, your ego will prefer to have a busy mind. Your ego will prefer to keep a background chatter. You don't want to... You don't want to feel. The the ego will prefer to kind of stay numb, and it stays numb through um, busyness. The now, a lot of times we'll, we'll have habits in our in our mental constructs, and for example, we might get triggered emotionally, and that'll start a whole monologue of mental patterning. So. Some of our thoughts are based on reactions to emotions that were triggered two hours ago, if, if that makes sense. It does. So so when when we we are in a place where perhaps you know self doubt comes in here, is that the ego? Uh, kind sense of like of bl- self. Sure. Uh self doubt, uh self worth. Uh, self-love or the lack of it uh, yeah. is a, that that's not a product of the soul um, I mean we could we could talk uh, about embodying the soul but um, when we have derogatory thoughts towards ourselves it's it's typically a reflection of the past when we've had um, unexpected results, challenging situations, a sense of failure. And, uh, I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, I have this past life memory where I'm I'm a general in an army. I'm like the big general. And we're all camped in tents, and we've been fighting this, this, this battle, this war for a long time, and I'm deciding that the next day we're going to end it. The next day we're going to claim victory. And so we we calculate our plans, and we uh, um, the next day the army sets off and marches off into war, and it turns out there was an ambush, and there was a just a horrific slaughter and I arrive the next morning and there's just a sea of dead 
there's so many dead. And in my heart, I'm bawling my head off. And I, it's like I promised myself I will never speak from a powerful point of view regarding the condition of others. And so in that moment, I kind of galvanized myself as not being um, appropriate for me to make powerful uh, choices, to make powerful decisions. And so I've created a karmic stigma that fast forward in, in lifetimes, I might not see myself as a leader. I might not see myself as um, someone to make decisions that affect a large group of people. So that imprinting comes from the response, the, the perhaps the sense of guilt, perhaps the sense of shame, all the families that have lost their loved ones the country that might have lost their sovereignty. I mean, there's so many ways um, that the heartache I felt in that moment could totally galvanize me towards the idea of being a, a powerful leader for the for the masses. And fast forward to t 2020, we're hungry for authentic leaders. We're hungry for powerful people, not to be, have dominion over us, but to have a sense of confidence, to have a sense mm -hmm. of of um, leadership, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a powerful thing. Understand where some of your material comes from. And I know when I was going through your book, there, there were moments where you, what, what, you know, every week I read a book. I read a certain amount of the book each day. And after I'd gotten you know, into, the, into the book significantly so that I, I was seeing the, the heart, the spiritual, and, and the ego, I, I would start to, to reflect on choices that I had made in my life and and I and I I would say to myself, okay, where did that choice come from? Did it come from my my ego? Did it come from my heart? Did it come from my soul? And um, the older I've gotten, more and more and more of my choices come from heart and soul. Um, but there's still some that, that do, do come from the ego. But not two years ago, three years ago. My son, I was in Connecticut, and my son was had had some appointment he had to go to in Boston, and he stopped by, and he said, you know, let me take you to dinner before my meeting, you know, the next day. We were sitting at dinner, and out of my mouth comes, I think it's time I sold the house and moved. And he just, you know, fork was halfway to his mouth, and he said, okay, where are you going to move to? And I said, Nashville. And he said, well, I didn't see that coming. And I sat there and I, I looked at him and I said, neither did I. <laughs> <laughs> Walking into the restaurant, the idea of selling my house and moving had not entered my mind. Right. Yet at the table, this comes out of my mouth. And the next day I got a realtor and I did sell the house and moved to Nashville. But 
I trusted it because it was so easy to flow out of my mouth. Yeah. You know, it was it was just it was it was it was amazing. And you know, that that I think is, you know, I don't know if that was soul or heart or both, but but I will I I would say it probably was soul because it turns up the the condo I moved to has a graveyard in the backyard and there's it's a family cemetery for the people that founded this town and it turns out that I'm related to one of the guys buried in my backyard. Wow. He had a sister named Hattie. Hattie married a man named um, Aaron DeLong. And I'm related to the same guy that this, this guy is related to. So so you can't tell me that, that somehow my soul, three years prior, had it all figured out. Yeah. Now, why? I don't, I don't know, but... Here I am. <laughs> and and we have the, the the ego is kind of the lowest common denominator because you had that inspiration to move, but your ego could have said, "The hell if I'm moving, I'm I'm staying right here." I don't think we ever get to the cosmic two by four. We don't get to the <laughs> train wreck unless we ignore our heart and our soul for a long time. And we get way out, uh, way out of step with the reason we're here. I like the the visual of static electricity. So, it, how many people have shuffled their sock, you know, uh, shuffled their feet across the carpet, and then touch the light switch, and they get a, a spark. Uh-huh. Well. Before you start shuffling your feet, you haven't accumulated any static electricity. And I would relate that to the day you were born, you didn't have an ego. And then as you go through your life, you're accumulating this charge. Well, the charge is not you in the the long-term sense. In other words, your ego is not you. it's a construct of you. It's a it's a static elect static electric charge that you've put on top of your persona, so to speak. And I'd like yep. to suggest that I think we're going to see a, a new era of people that cleanse their personal energy persona and and the analogy would be to discharge their the karmic stigma of their ego your soul cannot interfere your soul cannot deviate from truth your soul doesn't take on the negative karma of your um persona that is an accumulation of of the wake of your ego, so to speak. In so, in other words, um, in your in your truest sense, if you were to go to the core of your being, the the entry point, so to speak, the infinite well of consciousness that is eternally streaming into your persona, that consciousness is is pure it's source consciousness it's god consciousness and then we layer it up with karma over many lifetimes the the cycle of the soul is to start off from light 
We have no stigma, no karma, and we choose to go into the darkness. And if you've incarnated on this planet, your soul has chosen to go to the very edge of darkness. And, and we do that because a calm sea has never made a skilled sailor. <laughs> um, in order for a soul to master the art of the, the human persona, the human genome, the soul chooses to take its personas into darker and darker karma. And here on this planet, we're in a very dark karmic tsunami but I suggest to you that it's possible to to cleanse and purify your personal energy persona. In other words, to discharge the static buildup of your ego and your karma and purify your body persona so your soul can descend into your physical form. And I haven't spoken about this very much, but I'm... I'm I've got a lot of hits about it lately. I think some of the attributes of Jesus was there was no separation from the persona he showed you and the purity of his soul. And so for us to purify ourselves, our soul is not going to accumulate mud and and muck to come meet us in the untruth of ourselves. But if we purify ourselves, then our soul can, we're, we're literally um, creating a, a vessel that is in resonance with source consciousness, and then the soul can descend into our physical form, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. And, and you know, it's, it's, you know, during these these times that are challenging, so many people have shut down. And... Um, and yet I see the two extremes. I see people who have shut down and quit, and I see people who are absolutely shining and just being so manifestational, it's amazing. And the middle ground isn't so much, isn't as crowded as one would think. And and I think these times have, you know, it's either it's either or. You shut down and, you know, you, you turn off your personal power and you just feel like you're being booted around and you're being taken advantage of, and you quit. It doesn't mean you die. It just means that, that you aren't utilizing your own personal power to move your life along and, and bring greater light into your reality. So what are some of the ways that people really do shut down their own personal power? They... Um, they avoid their feelings. They they don't challenge their thoughts and beliefs from the past. Um, I, I get it that it can be tough to um, go through some of the heartache of, of the human persona. Um, there can be very, very difficult times. And sometimes on this, on this planet just to come out of the muck and the mire if if you're a, a a woman that's living in a domestic violence situation and your husband's beating the crap out of you or vice versa your wife's beating the crap out of you you can go either way and 
you have no sense of self, no self-esteem, no anything. To to come out of that and just stand on your own feet for the first time, perhaps in your life, that's a that's a flipping miracle. That's that's astounding uh, to accomplish that. And and I guess what I'm getting at is that. Sometimes our souls come here to perhaps just break even. <laughs> but, <laughs> but to your point, um, like for myself, I had no clue, and I, I can't emphasize this enough, I had no clue that I had an Im- immense amount of anger in my psyche, and, and that anger was um, r- ruling out vast arenas of choices. Well, I was afraid to have the feeling. My ego was afraid of the feeling. Why was my ego afraid to have the feeling? Well, the the survival mechanism that I put in place as an infant would see the fear in my mother's eyes, would see the fear in my sibling's eyes when the feeling of anger came out of my father. And so I would choose, as a young child, the last of seven, I don't want to be the reason why my mother is afraid. I don't want to be the reason why the family goes into this this very uncomfortable feeling. And so I'll choose, as a, at a very young age, to suppress. I will not allow it to get to the surface. I will suppress any anger that comes up in my psyche. Well, I was a walking zombie. You talk about um, oh, not engaged. I, I ended up on a shrink's couch because all my relationships were getting pinched off. And they were getting pinched off by this immense amount of emotion in my persona that not only was I not aware of, but I was also scared to death of. But after I... Um, overcame the fear of feeling anger. Anger is a real gift. Anger is a good thing. Anger is like rocket fuel. So if I feel anger, it's showing me in the moment how I'm being incongruent with what I would prefer. The anger is showing me in the moment how I have made choices that doesn't honor my truth. And with the message, there's this raw rocket fuel of energy called anger that I can take as a fuel. And it's like, here's the problem, here's the cure. That fuel of anger is a very high energy um, consciousness that I can direct in the moment of incongruency to help accelerate myself with motivation and choices and courage and bravery to break out of the old stigma. So get in touch with your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think I think all of us have had those those two by four moments. I've had a couple of them. And when they occur, it's like, oh my, this is a two by four moment. Where has my head been? <laughs> you know, um, right? It, it's it's uh, like I said, the older you get, 
the, the more the more philosophically you can look at these moments when it feels like the world's coming apart and it's it's not and life will not end and there's so much potential out there i just i don't know how to tell people explain people to people how they open that portal to potential um because mine got opened and and you know it was through life experiences and and my own work on myself and stuff like that 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 suddenly i became so aware of potential um it, nobody was saying you can't do this and if somebody said it it would be maybe not the way you think but i i bet you money i can achieve it um you know it's it's you know, infinite possibilities when you open yourself to the potential of the universe. And, and you know, sometimes doors open and sometimes they don't. And if they don't open, then something else comes up, up you know, around. Um, I know that um, when I did the deck of cards, I never intended to publish it. And a publisher came and found me and I thought, Oh, that's hysterical. He wants to he wants to publish my paintings. You know, I can't believe that he's you know I'm not an artist. And and darned if they aren't still out there. And and it was like it wasn't no, 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 it can't possibly be. It was like run with it. Sure, what the heck? Um it it was it was kind of like trust that somebody I, I used to tell people I, I used to serve in the pulpit, and it was like I always wait for the call. I, I don't place it myself because it could be a wrong number, but but if I get the call, I absolutely say yes to it, no matter what it is, so long as it's not against the law or my morals. Um, and and I think that's that's where a lot of people need to be. It's it's the, you know throw self doubt out the window. Because you're you're going to be your own worst enemy. Um, you know I'm 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 in my seventies, so I'm not going to be Miss Teenage America this time. But you know, next life you never know. But but you know, it's sort of like always under always expect that they're always expect the unexpected because it's always there. And and if you're if you're waiting for unusual to happen, it it, it truly will. And and I think that so many people today have shut their own personal power down. And you know, you can and and my way of breaking that logjam is telling everybody. First of all, no thinking meditation is a great thing to do. Jigsaw puzzles again. Um, you put the pieces of a puzzle together. It's almost reflective of putting the pieces of your life back together. Um, being creative in any way, shape, or form. If you want to take things apart and put them back together, that's creative. If you want to do an art project, that's creative. If you want to have a garden, that's creative. If you just be creative in any way, shape, or form every day. And that starts to add fuel to the movement within you. And and I think that I recommend, I, I don't know if you do, but I recommend a journal of some sort that, that keeps track of dreams, daydreams, and synchronicities. Because when you recognize them, when you give them 
validity and you put it in writing down in a journal, you're you're reminding yourself that the magic does happen in your life and then it then it snowballs. How do you feel about something like that? Oh, indeed. Um to to write it down, to write down <clears throat> the inspiration is is very powerful. You're bringing it into physical form. The your life as a listener, your life can go one of millions of ways. I suggest if you bring your heart and your soul more and more into every day, every hour, even every minute of your life, and you you develop a relationship with your heart and your soul, your life can expand at a rate incomprehensible to your past. The I suggest, I mean, it's it's pretty clear, I think, to people that the collective consciousness of humanity has been cracked open by this wonderful gift called 2020. The collective consciousness has been cracked open, and our a lot of our life paths, you, me, the listeners, had a had a sharp left turn and salt at 2021. <laughs> In other words, um, the, there's so much incongruency in the collective consciousness of our past. We have a single monetary system. I'm not going to go into this stuff too much, but in 2008, our single currency collapsed and the whole flipping world was turned on its head. Well, karmically, monolithic systems like single internet, single banking systems, single healthcare, these are karmic train wrecks. And here we are at 2021, and it's becoming evident that the collective consciousness wants a new narrative, a new paradigm. Well, who the hell is going to bring that into form if it's not flesh and bones? So your heart and your soul might be showing you a, a new academic modality or process and you might say to yourself who the hell am I to change the education industry well that might be exactly what your soul had in mind before you were born that might be exactly why you're here to change the education system of a country or a planet when when we get inspired with big visions that seem like drastic tangents to the way things were in the past, I think we're gonna we're gonna hear more and more people talk about that kind of thing that said, I don't know why I was in education for twenty five years and now I'm getting this inspiration to stand up and change it all. It's exactly uh-huh. the kind of person that would be designed, so to speak, as a life path to to have a very significant change of direction in your personal life. And, and so as the collective gets broken open, and here we are in 2021, I suggest millions of us, legions of us, will be called to be the new alchemists, the new mystics, the new sages, in the sense that we will be the ones bringing the divine wisdom from our inspiration into form through our personas. And Citizen King is a book that helps you prepare to do just that. 
absolutely. And, you know, you talk a lot about um, dreams and, and how they help to fulfill our, our, our life purpose. How, how does that work? Well, the, there's free will. Uh, in other words, the more you open up yourself, the more, in other words, like, I can say to my soul, look, I'm tired. I'm not interested in doing any of the, the new crap. I'm just going to tread water and die. <laughs> Maybe it'll go get yeah. a two-by-four and crack you open. But yeah. the, the, <laughs> the ego can kind of set the pace. And when we talk about dreams, the more we show up for ourselves, the bigger our dreams become. If if I'm a if I'm a homeless person and I have no sense of self worth and I I don't trust reality and and I have a negative connotation as to that aspect of life, my soul's not going to show me a dream so far away from that that I can't accept it. It's going to dangle a carrot in front of me that will move me forward. Maybe get on my get out on my own or or get a place of my own or start taking care of myself. The, in other words, the dreams that we have are a, are a reflection of our willingness, our aptitude, our um, how well we know ourselves. And so our dreams expand as we show up for them. Our dreams are... I suggest there's a, a, a vision of heaven on earth, and many, many souls are here to help uh, put that puzzle together, to, to create the new narrative of what it would look like to have heaven on earth. So you can get dreams from your heart and your soul, or you can flat out daydream a dream. So I ask you, what does heaven look like? If you were to look at 2019 and look at the the culture of humanity on the planet, the economic system, the health system, the governance, the education, 2020 showed us that clearly we had some serious stigmas involved. So, so here we are with more or less a, an opportunity to write a new slate. You can you can daydream the notion of what heaven might look like. For myself, it's the empowerment of the individual. It's a, the empowerment of the human persona. Heaven won't be experienced in um, anything but consciousness. Heaven is a, is a, something that consciousness experiences. So. There's human beings on this planet today that are living in a hell, um, famine, stress, torture, abuse. And there's also people that are living in heaven today. Um, they've got a place of their own. They've got uh, a new opportunity on life. So when we talk about dreams in the future, we can sit around and wait for our soul to inspire us, but I think what can happen when we daydream about what heaven might look like, we can kind of co-create with our soul. In other words, my ego can say, well, it'd be, it'd be nice if 
um, electrical power had had many many different ways of being resolved instead of a single number in the phone book. In 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 most of our situations, electrical power comes from the power company. Well, there's no choice in that. That's a karmic train wreck. So if I were to dream the future, it would be many different ways that that kind of a need would be fulfilled. And so when my ego dreams of what might look better, I'm opening up my mental space for my soul to give me that inspiration. Gotcha. I I know that when I think about heaven on earth, it to me is is um when when people speak of of heaven as a place the spirit goes um so many people are thinking of a physical place and yet the spirit is not physical it's etheric and when it moves into the other realm that is etheric as well so that it's hard to conceive of what they think heaven is when there's no shape or form. So I prefer to have heaven here when I, where I can see and feel it and experience it. And I, I think one of the things that, that I see so much is that I see a lot of people with joy in their hearts and they're expressing their joy more so than they did a decade ago. I think the element of laughter that I see with people is far more present than it was a decade or so ago. So that so that joy on some level is being expressed in times of difficulty where it wasn't being expressed in times of plenty, which I think is phenomenal. Nice, I like that. Yeah, our free will doesn't ever end. So the traditional religious uh, notion that if we don't piss God off and and we we can compress ourselves into the righteous template, that God will find favor on us and and deliver us to heaven. Well, in any moment we have free will. So we've arrived at this metaphorical place of heaven still doesn't mean we can't bugger it up with our free will. Nothing's, nothing's eternal as far as choices. It, if we Heaven and hell, I suggest, is a today experience. The only time you'll ever experience anything is in this now. So yeah. heaven and hell is a, a, what you can or you might or might not experience all along the journey in every moment. But we, you know, when you even think of of it's a perspective. I mean, there were people in concentration camps that had joy in their hearts, and that's what that's what carried them through that horrific experience. Right. Um, it's it's a matter of what you perceive, how you perceive it, and what you choose to put in your heart. And you know, that said, you do talk about self love and unconditional love. Um, so how does our relationship with love relate to our personal power? Oh, my God. 
question of the millennium. Um, <laughs> Take your time. How can you embody power without self-love? Now, I mean power, the, the big stuff, the Moses parting the seas, the, the, the really big notion, the divine idea of a human persona. Self-love, I suggest, is the one of the most prominent regulators of our ability to show up for ourselves. The if we were to truly love ourselves, that I think we would um, out of that self-love choose a life path that honored our potential. How can you be in self-love and deny the expression of your potential? How can you how can you be in self-love and sit on your hands through the journey? It's not like love has any requirements, but imagine like loving a child as a parent you have these ideas of what's possible for the child and it's out of that love that you nurture and support that child for that potential to unfold and self-love is no different. Um, Self-love, when you, the more and more you embody self-love, the more serious, and, and I don't mean that um, serious can be a swear word, I think, but the more uh, authentically you show up for your life, the more you embody self-love, the more you you value you, your life purpose. The more you embody self-love, the more intentional and focused you are about fulfilling the reason why you're here. Okay, so self-love has to do with our per- our soul's purpose here this lifetime. So where does a parent's responsibility change when you're guiding your you are as a parent I I have a son as a parent I perceived it was important for him to have a college education to follow his bliss, whatever that bliss was, so long as he got a college education. Um, and I think the only thing that would have would have sent my, you know, my that would have raised red flags all over the place and, and sent me screaming to wherever the campus was, was if he said, "I'm going to go for liberal, liberal arts." You know, I, I said that was that at, at one point. I said, you know, I said I don't care what you choose; just choose something to start off with. You can always switch and go to someplace else later. And and he said after he graduated, you know, he said no matter what I suggested, you said go for it. And, and he said you never tried to manipulate me. I said, oh, there would have been one place I would have greatly manipulated you. I would have ripped you out of college. Um, and and it was, you know, he said, what was it? You know, now that he's graduated, I said, if you had said liberal arts to me, you would have been on the next plane home. So, 
and, and that's just me. That's just me. But, but so where does a parent's responsibility end and you have to let go and allow that, that child, that soul that you brought into this world to take up their own journey and become responsible for their own soul purpose journey? Yeah, you you can't decide for them, can you? You can't. No. You can't reach over their shoulder and grab the will of their life and give it a yank. And it can it can be a challenging thing to watch them. Where where's that threshold? I mean, in a general sense, it's the age of eighteen, so to speak, in in this culture. But at some point in their life. Um, man, it's, I, I like what you said about he didn't feel pressured. He didn't feel strong-armed. He didn't feel your arm reaching over his shoulder trying to steer his life. No. And, I mean, ultimately the sailors got to feel the waves. And sometimes as a parent, we want them to avoid some of the tempests that we ourselves is bumped up against and sometimes their soul wants to drag them through the weeds and um, <laughs> our, our well, egos it, can say, well, that can't be helpful, but Barbara, well, I guess how, in a way, how did the train wrecks of your life change who you are? Um, when I, you mean, what, what was my two by four moment? Yeah, and how did it change um, you? I mean, your your ego might not have chose it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think the second two by four moment was um, at at some point. Gosh, it was like thirty or forty years ago now. Um, people were saying to me, "You should be in the metaphysical field full time. You know, this is what you should be doing." And I kept saying to them. Do you realize, you know, I, I, I'm teaching, I've got two masters, do you realize how much money I'm making um, and, the, and the, you know, the perks I get, yada, yada. But when I retire, I'll do this full time. But until I retire, you know, I, I'm going to ride this, this money train, actually, is right. what it was. And, and so... I caution people about making statements like that if apparently your soul has a different idea. And I was um, involved in a car accident, and um, part of the car accident, there was damage to, to my neck and my back, but, you know, that's not it was serious at the time, but it's not serious right now. And I had vertigo. And um, so I was unable to continue teaching, and, and there was a lawsuit because of the car accident, and I, I was involved in trial stuff for five years, and, and I wasn't able to work. And I was shoved into early retirement because of it, which enabled me to go into this field full-time, which is where I belong. But because I had said... Not until I retire will I do this. <laughs> um, right. The universe just arra- you know, arranged a car accident 
that had me through five years of trauma. But but I had said when I retire I'll do this full time and and um, part funny part of the story one that I don't often repeat is that at one point um, I had a, a son full time in college too. At one point, my mother said, and they stopped my paycheck. Um, the school system did. And, and and I ran out of money. And my mother said, you know, I can give you a place to live and I can, you know, feed you, but I can't take care of your bills. What are you going to do? And I said, you know, the universe said they wanted me in this in this position full time, so I'm going to wait and see what happens. And um, I had signed up for disability insurance and I made one one payment to it and somebody finally contacted me and said you know you have the disability insurance you know why don't you claim on it and I said I only put one payment in well um apparently it was in effect and so I applied for it and got it and it was um a significant amount of money and my mother said, oh, well, great. Now, are you? And I had stopped doing readings because I didn't feel that was appropriate. I figured if the universe wanted me in the field, they'd prove it. So this one check was coming in, and she said, now are you going to start doing readings? And I said, no, this one check does not cover what my regular paycheck is. And about six months went on, and someone said, um, are you going to apply for SSI? And I said, I have a job. I just can't do it right now, but I have a job. And um, they said, no, it's your money. Apply for it. And I, I went in and I applied. And they said, you know, this could take six months to a year. And I said, I'm fine with that. I was just covering all my bases. Well, three weeks later I was approved. And another check came in that was equal to the first check. And my mother said, okay, now, now are you going to go back and do readings and and you know start bringing in money and I said no the two the two together don't don't equal a paycheck no um, I can't afford to live that way and and so then um, I I was shoved into early retirement the school system made it impossible for me to actually teach so. Part of our agreement was they shoved me into retirement early in my 40s, and I said to and and with medical and everything connected to it, and um, you know way early, like 20 years early for the pension, but the pension check came in and it was almost exactly what a paycheck was, and the lawsuit was finally settled. And there was an annuity, and that, and the four checks together. Here's here's the cool part: the four checks together exactly equaled what I brought in in my paycheck per month. Wow! And I and I said to my mother, "The universe must really want me in this field." <laughs> I went back to work. Wow! So well then. Would would you say? Now I'm I'm jumping to conclusions here, so please correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. Um, it was your ego that said, "Well, I'm not going to do it until I retire." And 
and so your soul is sitting there with 500,000 trillion different ways it could manifest what you need in your life this this vast vast nonlinear consciousness that's part of your persona and your ego says I will not do this until this happens I I, I think my ego yeah my ego will say go ahead and if your ego had said now I don't I don't pretend to know the linear path that this would unfold, but if your ego had said, um, soul, um, I am open to your guidance. Show me, show me the path without these constructs of, well, I have to wait till I retire, um, that that's kind of what I'm getting about in the book about mental constructs is is the mental construct of, well, I'm not going to do it until this, um, <laughs> until this happens. I, well, the right. reality was I was a single parent. Right. So I had to have a certain amount of money in order to support me and my son. You you needed a certain amount of money in order for you to trust that you and your son would be supported. Yes. And, and, and how that so support when support could have showed up might not have had financial form, but nonetheless supported you nonetheless. Yeah. So I, I'm just, yes, I'm, just it... I'm fuddling with it here a little bit to just show um, how there could have been many dynamics ways this could have unfolded oh sure oh sure but um i think that the the two by four was i didn't trust my heart and my soul enough to take that flying leap right when i had it when i had a child that i had to support too yes and and so it, it was yeah it was ego i i was looking at at the finances and saying I have to be able to provide for us, and I don't see any other way. Um, I mean, when the car accident happened, and I, had, you know, and I had always said, when I retire, I'll certainly go into this field because I love it, and I and I do, and it's been fabulous to me for for half a century. But. Um, but yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it was my analytical ego that was saying, "I can't risk it because I have responsibilities." And, and it was the ego. Sure, if my soul and my heart had been in it, I would have, you know, thrown caution to the wind and said, "Okay, let's just retire from teaching, let go of the pension, let go of the security," and and yet there was another part of me that really believes, truly believes, that spiritual gifts should not be charged for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was part of my dilemma. I I really believe that, that anything of a spiritual nature, I mean, you can write a book and, and, that's, and, and, and get money for the book, and that's just fine. That's, you're getting paid for your time and your energy, and you're giving spiritual information away. But but for me personally, the kind of work I was doing, um, 
I felt I, I really should be giving it away and not charging for it. And right. and that's why the radio show has no sponsors. There's no money connected to it. It's a free, it's a giveaway. Um, my website has material on it. It's a free giveaway. Anything of a spiritual nature that I have, I will give away. Right. And well, uh, that, that's... Uh, uh, that, Earlier in the conversation, I was talking about uh, the, the metaphor of a muscle in our body. If we don't use the muscle and then we have to use the muscle, we might come up wanting. And when, uh-huh. it, when it's our relationship with our ego to our heart and our soul, if we don't uh, take exercises to grow that, to flex that muscle, to establish a connection, to establish a sense of trust, then when when the big challenges come, we won't be in in a mental space to trust um, many of the possible outcomes. So, so to mentally um, exercise your ego's relationship with your heart and your soul when the consequences aren't so major. My heart and my soul, I want to learn how to play guitar. Surprise me. Well, playing <laughs> guitar is not going to decide your life. And here's an opportunity for inspiration to come up. And, and now you're developing a rapport with your inspiration. And and so that that's what I'm getting at. Um, in order for your heart and your soul to have sway, in order for your heart and your soul to have some say in how your everyday life unfolds, it takes a rapport between your ego and your heart and your soul. It takes some trust, and that comes through practice. Well, oh, yeah. The more you engage your inspiration, the more you can become intuitive about your inspiration. But if you if you sit and ignore your inspiration, you're not going to have an opportunity to build your intuition or your trust. And so when the cosmic two-by-four comes, you're going to act. It, people will tend to act more out of fear, and and that collapses many, many possibilities. So, so developing the trust, flexing the muscles, so to speak, between your ego's trust of your inspiration... Um, when the consequences aren't so severe, can can kind of bond and anchor um, that relationship. So it, I, I suggest it makes navigating the more uh, uh, challenging times in your life uh, much easier because more possibilities are something you're willing to look at and take action on. Oh yeah, and and I think that that over the years, um, I have come to you know the ego every now and then will 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 say things like Are "You sure?" and it's like, "What do I have to lose? What do I have to lose? Come on, come on board, let's go for a ride," and and you know, so that so that it, it's sort of like there is a greater trust now than there was thirty forty years ago. Right. And 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 it's it's sort of like um, 
you recognize where the ego is stepping in and saying, <clears throat> remember me. And, and it's like, it's yeah, you know, it's an old friend. And it, it has changed over the years for sure. And uh, every every now and then I picture my ego as somebody that walks around with a parachute and a seatbelt on constantly <laughs> because it never knows where I'm going to go you know, at any moment in time. Right. But, Very you know, nice. I will definitely. It, it's you know you you having a personal relationship with all parts of yourself is really I think one of the the important parts of this book in that that you recognize ego you recognize heart you recognize soul and and you you have to form a trinity that is an unusual trinity but if they work in Congress um, life. Life takes on a whole new perspective, and it is exciting. Once you've tasted the fruit, once you've developed a rapport, um, there's no going back. It's like if my soul were to present to me today the notion of writing a book had I never written anything, based on my my relationship it'd be like hey i i've got i've got a new paradigm i've i've got a new way to express myself in this lifetime and um i value that inspiration i value the tangents i value the the expansion of the vision of what my life might be and that is so contrary to where I was before the cosmic two by four. I wouldn't have entertained any notion of my life outside of me being a broadcast television engineer. Period. And and so I'm I'm just so damn happy that I've got this vibrant part of me that's dynamic and fluid and lucid, and it loves me so dearly, and it feeds me these new. Na- New narratives, new paradigms, new opportunities, new adventures. Damn, that's the good stuff. I don't want to miss out on any of that. Well, and I think because people today are more and more aware of of consciousness and, and, and cosmic consciousness and group consciousness and what's going on in the world and, and the fact that we've been so isolated for so long and now we're be able to get back together there's a new form of communication going on here that is that is really going to i think take a decade or so to really take root but i but i but i do feel the change in the frequency that people are putting out amen and and the change in frequency is the change in outcome yeah and it's, change, it's, it, it, it's a new octave of wisdom, so to speak. Absolutely. And people are okay with talking about stuff like that, where a decade ago they weren't. Or or if you had talked about um, different archetypes of love, or if you've talked about um, the, the, the ego and the soul and the heart and different levels of consciousness. I mean... These are topics that would not have been talked about a decade or two ago. 
and now just about everybody is hungry for this kind of information, which, which you know, I know this book was published a while back, but when was it published, actually? Uh, 2015. Okay, so it's, it's, a, it's a little, it's seven years. Um, I think that people are more open today to the material that you've got in this book than maybe they were seven years ago. I, I think, oh, my God. You know, pe- when I wrote the book, like two or three years later after I wrote the book, I'm like, this isn't resonating with anyone. And uh, <laughs> And now today... I'm like, man, this is resonating with everyone. <laughs> I I jumped the gun about five years. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you're ahead of the of the pack for sure. I think that that especially because we've been so isolated, people are reading more. People are doing more in you know personal internal work, and and it's it's just it's amazing to me to see the changes in people and and I, I think what I like what I love what I love about what you've got here is that there's no dogma connected to it. You know, it isn't right. you have to you have to do this, this and this. It's it's you, you give people, you know, a roadmap and you say, follow it in your own way and you're gonna be just fine because there's change can't help but happen. I'm I'm and, very careful with dogma. The lack thereof. Well, uh, dogma is what creates the ego, isn't it? Well, it's. I mean, the the tagline to my platform, New Human Living, is pure, authentic you. Pure, authentic yeah. you. Purity and authenticity. I'm not defining any attributes about yourself per se. I'm not saying you're brave or strong or this or that. Purity and authenticity don't have any attributes of themselves, so to speak. And so I'm I'm super very careful about projecting my crap on other people. I'm very, very, very careful with my language to say you have full dominion of who you are. Um, the shadow and the light, the storm and the calm are are all expressions of the soul's journey. And if your soul's asking you to push through darkness, and I say, well, it's important that you feel joy, and I'm I'm contradictory. And so even positive words like joy and and whatnot, I. Try to leave it out of the equation and just say, tune into, tune into who you are and the impulse for you in this moment. Because there's a hundred trillion different trajectories, and with billions of people on the planet, every one of them are legit in some way or another. And everybody's journey is different. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, same source. But the way we get there is, is, you know, it depends on what the, what the soul of this lifetime is working on. What my soul of this lifetime is working on is not what my son's soul is working on. And it's not, right. you know, it's, it's sort of like my issues that I am here this lifetime to work on to change, my challenges or my glitches or 
my knee-jerk reaction or whatever. Um, <clears throat> you know, other people have have managed to go beyond that particular aspect and have other knee-jerk stuff going on. So, so it's going to be different for everybody. Right. And yet, the quality of love that they radiate is all singular. Yeah. I mean, nice. self-love and and unconditional love are the same. I mean, with every person. If you if you are to that point within your life, then what radiates from you is something that the other people will recognize as, gee, there's something special there. I wonder how they got there or what pills are they taking. Yeah. Right. I, I, when you can plant the karmic stigmas in your personal energy persona and heal your relationship with self-love, um, when when you emit love, the universe reflects back to you that love. And and it's it's really amazing. It's very curious how love can show you new ways to see every aspect of our human demeanor. And mm-hmm. ascended masters and beings of light and whatnot, they come into this karmic tsunami and they have love for every single player every single the the shadow and the light the darkness and the and the light and um because they are beings of love the um i suggest that's the realm of heaven in this moment if you can embody self-love and unconditional love for yourself and humanity, you will experience heaven on earth. You, you will, ex- as you, um, as you shine love, so to speak, out of your persona. That's what's going to come reflected back to you, and and that that quantum mirror, so to speak, will will. Uh, create the experience of heaven on earth in your persona today. Well, I think also people have to realize we're here to work on ourselves. And and so so while while certainly it is it it is possible to have the self-love and and unconditional love and all of that, we're still working on ourselves. The the reason the soul be, came into a physical reality was to perfect aspects of itself that it couldn't do on the etheric level. So so it it's it's we're here to learn, we're here to grow and and absolutely I call them mountaintop experiences. Um everybody hopefully has had several of them or many of them where where you really know pure peace and joy. And then you're back to the, you know, to, to the to the rest of life, but we're here to to grow and to learn, and and we're here because we have aspects of ourselves that that we want to enhance and stretch and move into new directions with, and and do we have moments where there is there is peace and love and just 
a warm, fuzzy feeling, and that's all there is, is, is it, it happens. It certainly absolutely happens, but we're still working on parts of ourselves. So, so, it's, uh, so, so I have a question for you. It's, it's, you've written oh, damn, two books no. now. We've come to questions. <laughs> oh, shit. More Go questions, ahead. yes. You've written two books that I've read, both of them. Is there another one in the works? Um, actually, I wrote one before those two. Um, it's only available on the newhumanliving.com website, Personal Power Fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Um, and that talks about how we take on karma and load our psyche up and uh, how to purify our karma and release it and cleanse it. Is there a, So is there another book coming up? Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Um, <laughs> probably a, about a dozen books before I croak. Um, uh, the Susan <laughs> King and the Forgiven Sinner books. I've I've um, I very much appreciated those, and they're they're. I guess I'm uh, talking out loud. They're kind of. Uh, informational books and yeah. uh, I'm toying with the idea of writing a, a, a fictional book with metaphysical principles and a storyline instead of a um, like a Susan King is information basically but yeah. it's um, like you I'm a host a radio show host, and I've noticed many authors have deviated from the traditional type of book and went to books of stories of of fiction, so to speak, and woven the spiritual principles into the storyline. So I'm I'm toying with that. I'm I'm at a crossroads about what format my next book will be in, but. Certainly, there's. Uh, I think there'll always be another book in the hopper. Oh yeah. Well, I I noticed that with the pandemic and the lockdown, authors are no longer writing 300-page books; they're writing 500-page books. So, I'm I'm hopeful that the lockdown means that people won't be writing as lengthy a tome as they have been. A lot easier to get through 300 pages than it is to get through five and 900 pages. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, so if if people are looking for you, what is the website they go to? Um, newhumanliving.com. New Human Living is a platform I created in 2009. It's mm-hmm. it's a platform to help you discover your truth. Um, and on the store page, there all my all my books are a single click away, um, regardless of what format you want them in. And if you want to learn more about me as an individual, lesjensen.com is, uh, tells you um, who I am and how my philosophies came about. Well, there are certainly great philosophies, and, and I think writing your books has expanded um I, I would bet your understanding of them a lot better, too. Um, I find when I'm trying to explain something and I'm writing it down, I, I find 
new 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 nuances that I hadn't seen before coming out. So, but it just feels like there's got to be more. I mean, there's only three books here. I got my goodness, you know. <laughs> Get going. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> it just it it feels like it's time for another book. Um and and you, the material you have is just so priceless and so poignant and so important. It seems like you know, I I mean, I highly recommend both of your books. I think they're really great books. They're great books to study from and grow from. And you know whatever you put out there is going to be of help to people too, so that so that while you're exercising growing and learning is a wonderful way to provide information to other people to do the same thing. Well, thank you. I appreciate that and And to be a living example of your philosophy is even better. so <laughs> I polish my persona every night. I I try to <laughs> I try to be a uh, 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 spiritual yahoo with a personality, with a little pizzazz, a little spunk, a little um, spice, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 always looking to be able to be better, to give better, to give more, to share more to to be a, a font of um, laughter for people so they can learn from the laughter probably is a right. better way to look at it um, yeah. because you know I, I'll, I'll happily show all of my mistakes to everybody just, just so that they can avoid those and make their own um, but I, I just noticed the time and, and I'm, I'm so very grateful for your being here with me tonight and um I so appreciate what you've done so far, and um, I'm looking forward to see what comes next. Maybe it's time I write another book. I think so. I think so. (laughs) I will keep in touch and make sure I I push you along a little bit here and there. Um, But thank you so much for being here tonight. I so appreciate your taking the time to talk to me and, and... our listeners that are out there. I want to thank you for having me. I, I've been on this, uh, this show, and I've, I just love the two-hour format, and it's such a casual conversation, but yet um, it really fosters, uh, fosters uh, kind of a, a deeper dialogue and so I want to thank you, Barbara, for having me on your show. It's been my pleasure. Uh, thanks again, and I will be in touch. You can be very sure of that. So, everybody, I want to thank you all for listening. This will be up on YouTube shortly, probably tomorrow. Check it out. Um, and if you like what you see, please subscribe, because that's how we know you're listening. Tomorrow night, Mark has a wonderful show already planned and in the works, so do tune in tomorrow night for that one. And uh, keep coming back because we have wonderful, unusual, new and unique stuff coming. Good night now.